Welcome to Buckaroo Holiday. If you're hearing this, that means that we've cheated the Reaper temporarily. But as some of you may know from a Facebook post, uh, our days are numbered. The RIAA has been sending their bots crawling around through the internet to squash anyone doing podcasts who uh, include copyrighted material. It doesn't necessarily mean music shows. It could be spoken shows that use incidental music or unauthorized theme music. My friend Ron's show was pulled abruptly. He's been doing it for years, hundreds of shows. Great show. It was called Full Duplex Radio. Um, Well, it still is called Full, Full Duplex Radio. And it's a labor of love that he and his daughter do. Uh, It was the inspiration for this show, and he's the one who supported me getting started on this and uh, hooked up with Podbean. So I am particularly sad to see him dealing with this injustice. And it is an injustice. I'm not trying to overstate it. It's uh, It's not apocalyptically horrible, but it is... Well, it is, actually. Maybe not individually. I'm not trying to claim any particular status victimhood god knows i ain't trying to do that but in terms of the wider view of things people unable to do these craft shows these hobby casts these sort of things you know it's the act of of an industry that never did care for artists and never did care for the audience always everything that has ever been done by the music business well you know hunter s thompson said about the music business i don't need to go on about that That's a known quantity. I just uh, think that there's a great loss to the Wild West freedom that the internet once afforded. That's a shame because you know you're going to wind up with is um, the same pap entertainment you see in the commercial outlets, the same mediated views um, philosophically, politically, socially that are shoved down everyone's throat all the time. But fuck all that is what I always say. And... I'm going to come back to me, which is all I've got from birth to death. Um, but uh, it sucks. You know, it's, it's a shame because I really enjoy doing this. It's been a great boon to my mental health. And it's been a way of connecting with friends during this shutdown thing, which, um, I don't know, any kind of mental health outlet is seriously important now. And I, I'm glad that I had it. And I'm glad for those of you who stayed with the show and who keep in contact with me and even those of you who silently enjoy it i um i really it means a lot and uh, makes it worthwhile but also if none of you were listening i would probably have been doing it anyway because that was the original idea to just do this thing and see what happens like with everything i do everything i've ever done in my life has been individually motivated and uh, maybe that's part of the seeds of the issue it's uh, I was raised on anti-heroes you know when I was a kid I was uh, always drawn to the likes of Cool Hand Luke or Virgil Hiltz on, uh, in The Great Escape Steve McQueen's character people like this they did their own thing they got their asses kicked for doing it and uh, I physically had that same experience in school which is why I related to them you know I, teachers would beat the shit out of me on a daily basis and I was eventually thrown out of the one school I was in into another school 
and so began and continued my education in the human race. So fine, you know, we all uh, have our crosses to bear, eh? But, you know, you can choose things. You can acquiesce, you can crumble, you can rebel, you can beat a new path for yourself. I guess I've done a little of all those things, you know? Um, and um, the point of that is that there has to be another way to do this, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm going to talk about it in the course of this show, probably, because it's fresh and I'm still trying to go through it in my head right now. The uh, the show that I was going to do uh, before all this happened this morning was a tribute to my father-in-law, Frank Handler, who died a couple of days ago. I'm sorry that profound news has been preceded by this trivial matter of the podcast itself, but, uh, you know, that's what's fresher. Um, that also has more to do with you um, than this tragedy does. But anyway, I am going to do the tribute to Frank, and um, it's not going to be maudlin and sentimental. I just want to play a few things that are reminiscent of him to me, that recall his personality and interests to me. It's a sacramental offering of love to somebody who had nothing but a positive impact on my life. His daughter, Shelley, is my wife. Unlike every other father of every other woman I ever dated prior to my wife, um, he seemed to like me. <laughs> that, I, that could be just a function of his grace uh, as a person, which is very possible, because he was very graceful and very kind. He was an incredibly smart guy. He was a teacher his whole life. When he was young, he fought in the Second World War, serving in the Pacific in the Navy. He was an intellectual always learning, always interested, especially in history, unusually even-tempered. A lot to learn from a guy like that. So I'm going to talk about him a little bit um, as I play some couple of tracks. He died at 95. He was a good man who lived a good, long life. Do this with joy and with gratitude for having known the guy. L'chaim, Frank.
flash of evening that trembles on the brink of a lovely song. You are the angel glow that lights a cinema so you had a few things there representing some of his favorites of course the cuckoo theme for Laurel and Hardy by Marvin Hatley was the last thing you heard there and earlier you heard the main title theme sequence from Lawrence of Arabia his favorite movie sandwich in between the great Joe Stafford who I've told you about how much I love her before all the Things You Are, that's a Jerome Kern song. Frank was a big fan of the Great American Songbook and loved Kern, loved that song. Maybe partial to Cole Porter, we'll have to hear something by him. Another thing Frank loved was chess. He was fiercely competitive and a brilliant player. He loved chess so much he actually went to Reykjavik to see Bobby Fischer and Boris Spassky compete back in 72, I guess it was, right? And uh, with that in mind, the second song we've ever played here by Prefab Sprout. 
and it happens to be on that very topic.
Like the beat, beat, beat of the tum-tum When the jungle shadows fall Like the tick-tick-tock of the stately clock As it stands against the wall Like the drip, drip, drip of the raindrops When the summer shower is through So voice within me keeps repeating Night and day You are the one Only you Neath the moon Or under the sun Whether near to me Or far It's no matter Darling where you are I think of you Day and night Night and day Why is it so That this longing for you Follows wherever I go In the roaring traffic's boom In the silence of my lonely room I think of you Day and night Night and day Under the height of me There's an oh such a hungry Yearning burning inside of me And it's torment won't be through Till you let me spend my life Making love to you Day and night, night and day Think of you Day and night 
of me There's an oh such a hungry burning inside of me And it's torment won't be true Till you let me spend life making love to you day and night I know you are, singers. Thank you. Well, I told you Frank liked Cole Porter. So there was Frank for Frank doing Cole Porter's great song, Night and Day. Those are two versions of it that I've grafted together um, obscenely, probably. But the uh, version that Sinatra recorded in 1956, I guess, with Nelson Riddle is... I don't know, one of my favorite all-time recordings. It's uh, It just builds climax to climax. The, the swing in it is just so perfect. And, um, you know, Sinatra's singing is at its absolute peak, in my opinion. It's just, just joyous. And um, the, just the, that building and building and building, it's like hook after hook, you know, that he draws out of that number. Nelson's arrangement is just monstrous. But he doesn't include the verse. And Sinatra was known for doing the verse of all these classic songs. So I went to the recording from 1961 that he did with Don Costa on reprise and grafted that onto the beginning here with little regard for human decency, but uh, a lot of regard for Cole Porter's composition and Frank Handler's affection for the song. It's a tricky week for us. And uh, right now, I think I'll conclude this portion of the show with an elegy because it has been pretty upbeat to now and I think it ought to be but I do want to express sorrow because uh, there is a lot of sorrow and I wanted to do it with something that's um, not schmaltzy I have a piece here by the composer Morton Feldman it's called Madame Press died last week at 90 and Feldman who wrote what most people would consider to be difficult challenging music takes an approach here that's a little more accessible. And the piece was written in 1970 as a tribute to his teacher, his piano teacher, who died. Clearly, this teacher made a big impression on him to inspire this piece. Frank was a teacher, and I know for a fact that he inspired many generations of students. They would return to him decades later to tell him so. One of them actually did a podcast about Frank earlier this year to tell the world and Frank how much his class meant to him. And I play this as a way of sending Skyward a message of love to Frank Handler to tell him how much he meant to me.
has a black star, a black star over his shoulder. And when a man sees his black star, he knows his time, his time has come. Black star, don't shine on me, black star. Black star, keep behind on me, black star. There's a lot of living I gotta do. Give me time to make a few dreams come true. Black star. When I ride, I feel that black star, that black star over my shoulder. So I ride front of that black star, never looking around. Never looking around Black star, don't shine on me Black star Black star, keep behind me Black star There's a lot of living I gotta do Give me time to make a few dreams come true Black star One fine day, I'll see that black star, that black star over my shoulder. And when I see that old black star, I'll know my time, my time has come. Black star, don't shine on me, black star. Black star, keep behind me, black star.
Planets by the No Twist, the Not Twist. I don't know. It's a German band. Put that album out about 10 years ago, maybe, maybe 12, 13 years ago. I don't know. They started out as a really like hard band, like a, like a loud kind of boring band, and got more uh, wimpy and more interesting as time went on. Not sure how I got onto them, but uh, you know, it's a nice record, right? Think so? I don't know. hope so. Prior to that, you're not going to argue with me on this one. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. More and more amour is the name of that cut. I have a lot of affection for Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. And that one is right from the real core of their career when they were really pumping out the great records. It's from uh, 65, I think, which, along with 1966, was one of the two great years for pop music in the rock era. Unbelievably great music being made then, and uh, Herb Alpert was right in there. And through A&M, he brought us a lot of great music as well, so, yeah, Herb. At the top of all that, in keeping with our gloomy theme today, right, I guess it's gloomy, right? It's, you know, death and loss and shit makes you gloomy, why not? Part of life. Buck up. Grow a spine, would you? Hey. Um, yeah, the first thing was Black Star by Elvis Presley. This was the original title and theme from his movie that ended up being called Flaming Star. From what I understand, the studio thought that the Black Star was too stark an image. This idea that you're followed by your own death and when you see it over your shoulder, you know the jig is up. Um, they replaced it with the idea of a flaming star, which I guess is more um, inspiring. It, it kind of means the same thing, but it doesn't come off the same way. And from what I understand, Bowie had a uh, had this in mind when he did his final album. Bowie, you know, in those days when Elvis cut this, they would have looked at a guy like Bowie and, and uh, called him a flaming star, if you know what I'm saying. Ooh, not for nothing, you know what I'm saying? However, uh, there is something about it, despite the poor sound quality, that grabs me a lot more than uh, Flaming Star, which I was familiar with for a long time. Um, the idea of being haunted by this inevitable doom. Everybody's got their own way of dealing with it. Well, I'm dealing with it in two ways tonight. One is this podcast, and then the black star is kind of shining over the shoulder of this podcast tonight, let me tell you. The other method is uh, I'm drinking many buckaroos. I don't know which one I'm on to now, maybe the fourth, the fifth. The minor fall, the major lift. Now there's an idea. Hey, Leonard. Light. So let's be 
scenery started fading.
oven and put it in a box for me so I can see it at my leisure when everything's go wrong and I will keep it as a treasure to last my What am I to do to keep the sky so blue? There must be someone who will buy. be someone who will buy, who will
Every man has a black star, a black star over his shoulder. There's a lot of living they gotta do. Give 'em time to make a few dreams come true. Ladies and gentlemen, I dedicate this next set to the Charlestown Chiefs. Just a little bit south of Saskatoon, take my guitar for board and room. Met a little girl, her name was June. A little bit south of Saskatoon Me and Junie May, we got on fine Till I had to move on up the line Promise that girl I'd be back soon A little bit south of Saskatoon The sides had in the watch, then northern lights. But I had my mind on my sweet June, a little bit south of Saskatoon. So I caught a freight and headed back, traveling down that railroad track. Kept a thinking of my honeymoon A little bit south of Saskatoon Me and Junie May got a little house Got a piece of ground and a few milk cows Soon, a little bit south of Saskatoon. In the winter time when we can't farm, me and Junie may sit arm in arm. By big old fire and honeymoon, a little bit south of Saskatoon. brought their fucking toys with them.
I don't know whether you agree that Slapshot is the greatest film of its era, but you ought to, and that's what that little set was dedicated to. Uh, masterpiece, George Roy Hill, Paul Newman, Maxine Nightingale with Get Right Back to Where We Started From, of course. Sonny James, a little bit south of Saskatoon. I, I just figured we needed a little levity, you know? Let me tell you, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling miserable and life is closing in on you, watching Slapshot is not the worst option. And again, on the cinematic tip, a reprise of the uh, reprise. That's maybe the second, third time I pronounced that word wrong in this show. Uh, but the... Um, callback of the song Black Star by Elvis from the movie Flaming Star. That just goes to show you the, the conceptual continuity of these Buckaroo Holiday programs. Uh, sometimes it brings a tear to my eye. The way I put this stuff together, the way it... it oh, forget... Black Star by Elvis, and then before that we had a piece called Johnny Appleseed, which was by Les Elgart and his band. Don't hear a lot of big band music here. I don't know why. We'll, well, I'll fix that, because good big band music is pretty serious stuff. That was written by Bobby Scott. He did a whole album with Les Elgart called American Visions. And uh, Bobby Scott was the guy who wrote the song uh, Taste of Honey, he also was a singer and a producer and arranger and all-around uh, under-recognized legend. I have this Facebook friend named Danny Barrett who apparently was a friend of Bobby Scott's and a big admirer, and he posts a lot of Bobby Scott's work. And that one really uh, caught me. And it's a great album, Les Elgart. I mean, a lot of very interesting albums, some in the space-age pop vein, some in the more uh, third-stream vein, many in collaboration with his brother, Larry. On that album, he really exploits what a big band can do, and it goes from big swinging things like you'd expect to these very lyrical and sensitive and interestingly colored pieces. Before that was a song from the Broadway show Oliver called Who Will Buy? Written by Lionel Bart. That show was an English import and, of course, a huge hit. Sung there by Ethel Ennis. Recorded that one, I think, in 1963 or 4. The way I got out to her was I was watching To Tell the Truth, which is my favorite of the old low-money game shows from the groovy era. And she was on the panel. She had appeared at Nixon's White House singing the national anthem at some sort of an event. And this acapella rendition that was very soulful and jazzy and free, not something people cotton to in general, but certainly not in those days. And I think it was in the wake of Hendrix's Woodstock performance of the same tune. Some people's hackles were up, and she courted some controversy with this. I think the Nixons were okay with it, but a lot of people blew a gasket, burst a blood vessel, you know, rehearsing for how things are now, I guess. Uh, precursor to the world we're all in. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. So anyway, that's what landed her on to tell the truth. Something about her bearing and her voice when she sang the recreation of her White House performance caught my ear and I looked her up and found that one. And it's a song I've always liked, uh... But that's that's a great kind of period arrangement of it, and she does a great job with it. Way, way back there in the Bronze Age of this show, relatively speaking, was Leonard Cohen doing The Smoky Life. 
I imagine that a lot of Leonard Cohen purists might not dig it that much because it's a little atypical. Um, all that weird hokey kind of stuff. See, I, I really dig it. Um, but I just feel it's, again, important to up the Canadian content of the show. Uh, I owe it to Ron, and uh, I, I promise to, to Ron. Um, he, he puts a lot in the Patreon, or has so far. He indicates he might lower it after a little bit. Um, I think he has a bigger heart than that, and I don't think he ever will. And I'm hoping that his example inspires a lot of people to contribute to the Patreon generously and within their means, or maybe even slightly above their means. But uh, I think it's food for thought, and we'll talk more about it later. Thank you, Ron. And um, if you do send a lot of money to the Patreon, or any money to the Patreon, uh, who knows what might happen for you, what, what dreams might come true for you. Thanks to my largesse. Thanks to your largesse. See, see how it goes? Paying it forward, sending it back. Holding it down, lifting us all up. Uh-oh, I'm sounding like the Democratic Convention. This is where I am tonight. All right, anyway.
bright, exciting sound of radio.
Чекуршись с водой, ах, кругом шуна камаши, Ах, пустой ханум, постой, жар души, мне потуши, Душа домогай, манамас, яр, душа домогай, манамас, Душа домогай, манамас, яр, душа домогай, манамас, Сенурдан, шакман, бурдан, Сенурдан, шакман, бурдан, Kathy Barbarian. I have it on good authority that there's one roulade she can't sing, but it hasn't been proven to me yet that there was the Azerbaijan love song. It's from a series of folk song arrangements by Luciano Birio, her husband. The whole set of songs is great. She does a couple of old American songs, Black is the Color and uh, I Wonder as I Wander, which actually I'm not sure if that's a folk song or whether it was actually written by John Jacob Niles, but that's topic for another day. Beautiful colors in the orchestrations that Luciano Birio created for Kathy to sing over. On the same album that's from, there's a recital for Kathy, which is a longer form piece, uh, that he composed for her uh, striking stuff she died relatively young i think it was in the early 80s and she had a heart attack it's a real shame she was unique i think at some point i got to play uh, stripsody which is this uh, piece that she did with uh, the onomatopoeia it's pretty cool besides which uh, she collected pornographic porcelain yeah before Kathy, we heard a song by Michael Ferentino, Girl 16. And I think that piece is maybe about six or seven years old. It's kind of hard to keep track of Michael's work. He's prolific in the way that Prince was prolific, or Brian Wilson was prolific. Uh, you know, just one of these guys that just constantly creates. He's a friend of mine and uh, a dear friend of mine, and he's not going to believe it. We were talking the other day, and I had already planned to play Girl 16 on the show, and he brought up the song in our discussion we were having, and I told him, ah, I was going to play that on the next show, and, you know, I'm sure he's like, yeah, yeah, right, you're going to play it on the next show, but I was, I was planning to, so fine, Michael, you want to call me a liar? Go ahead. I, 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 I can't reason with you. I, just, I better just drop the whole thing, you know, I've had it. But I recommend you check out his work. He's brilliant. He uh, does a lot of solo stuff. He played with the Miles Hunt Club. He uh, had his big brush with fame with a band called Love in Reverse with Andres Carew, who uh, we talked about on some previous shows. And they're about to release a brand new album, the first one in many years, uh, which uh, promises to be pretty fantastic. Also records some pretty amazing stuff under the name Bedtime for Robots. So you can't you can't keep up with the guy. Incredible talent. And before Michael, you heard Amphitheaters by Swell Maps or Swell Maps. I always love that play on words. It's a great band name, and uh, they were real innovators. Although I got to admit, I 
prefer the work that Epic Soundtracks did on his own after that. Just really unexpected after Swell Maps to, the, to hear this um, very introspective, piano-based, uh, Brian Wilson-influenced music. But Swell Maps drew from a lot of unexpected influences and came up with something all their own. I want to mention now uh, that I've been hearing from people regarding the dilemma that we're facing with the podcast. Where is it going to exist? How is it going to exist? People are sending me suggestions, so I do appreciate that because I was really struck today like, oh, that's it, no more, and that would be a shame. But we're going to figure something out. Until I do figure out something, you can expect the status to remain quo. Uh, There's no reason not to put the stuff on Podbean because um, if they do pull it, I still have the shows. I can put them wherever else I'm going to be going. And there will still be the Patreon bonus shows, which I'm now wondering whether I should send to subscribers directly because uh, I don't want to run into trouble over there either. You know, copyright crap is madness, I think. I remember some years ago there was a daycare center that had a mural on, on the wall. Somebody painted all these Walt Disney characters. Somehow Disney got wind of this. And they sent their lawyers there and uh, told them, cease and desist to get rid of this mural. These are copyrighted characters, I dare you. You know, this is some mom and pop thing, you know. Uh, It's just staggeringly fucked up, you know, that they would do this. And if if I recall correctly... Warner Brothers heard about this, and in a brilliant little public relations coup, they sent down their artists to replace the mural with professionally painted images of Bugs Bunny and the rest of the Warner Brothers gang. So so you never know. Sometimes uh, good things can come of weird crises like this. I know that a few people uh, joined the Patreon since this happened, I think as a gesture of support and that means a lot to me I thank you I want to reiterate though that that uh, buck or a couple of bucks a month is uh, a donation it's not this show doesn't depend on that and when I do find a new home for buckaroo holiday it'll remain freely accessible independent of the Patreon and a special note to the few the proud um, there will be a fresh Buckaroo Holiday Extra thing coming up there next early next week. Um, I try to space them out, but it's pretty much done. Anyway, enough of this.
There's an old seagull That sits in the sand Watching all his friends go by And oh, he made room for me Cause I'm sitting in misery Wondering why Why did you go There's an old seagull Sits in the sand Watching all his friends go by And oh, he made room for me And I'm sitting in misery Just wondering why Why did you go?
Yeah, that's Tellingham. <laughs> Yosef Marais and Miranda with Ihashe, which was their adaptation of a Zulu song. Yosef Marais was a South African performer who partnered up with Miranda, who I believe was from the Netherlands. And they became a very popular nightclub attraction all over the world, singing folk songs. I think they were probably instrumental in the first folk song revival period, um, which I guess included the Weavers, and as I mentioned before, John Jacob Niles, where uh, Murray and Miranda were not political like the Weavers. They were just uh, song collectors and uh, entertainers. That was a really weird, mysterioso little number, and I liked the whole comeuppance the guy gets from the woman. There was a great sophistication to some of their arrangements of these songs. A lot of South African numbers, which were uh, Murray's specialty before they went global. They worked with people like Joe Meek. Uh, so very interesting career. I, f I found out about them one time many years ago. I was in a record store in New York that specialized in 78 recordings. And I went with my mom on one of our many field trips. We would take two oddball stores and exploring. And I found a collection of records called Songs from the Veld. And that kicked off a decades-long fascination with their music. Before that, you heard Eddie Floyd with a neglected song of his, Seagull. I think it's just beautiful. From an album called You've Got to Have Eddie. Pretty much, you know, your stacks all-stars. The album was arranged by Steve Cropper, and Booker T co-wrote that song with Eddie. An example of a lot of the great variety that was happening in R&B at that time and into the 70s. People tend to remember all the radio hits, but so many of these artists were doing adventurous stuff. The OJs with uh, their Ship Ahoy album and uh, I think a lot of the crate diggers and rare groove hunters are rediscovering a lot of these records, which is a great thing. They deserve uh, a lot more attention. Case in point, the first song in the set Serenade of a Summer Butterfly by the Earth Disciples. Mostly instrumental band. Did an album, Getaway Train, that that song was from. 1969. Go where it happens Where the action starts And the in-crowd stops <laughs> yeah, the in-crowd stops as soon as they hear this show. Stop listening, maybe. What are you going to do? You know, you'll indulge me for a minute, I hope. Because that reminded me of something, talking about going to the store with my mom, getting the Murray and Miranda 78s, and a lot of the other things that have come up on today's show. Keep bringing it to mind. I've been kind of running this around in my head ever since a recent show where I played uh, Mitch Lay, um, the Lay Harris Woodwinds, doing this Alec Wilder type of stuff. Well, I told you that he went on to write the musical Men of La Mancha. So I've been thinking about that a lot ever since because it touches on uh, a few things that I think emerge uh, as themes of this particular podcast today. I don't know if it all ties together, but let me see what I can do here. Because in 1999, 
When Gene Shepard died, he was a humorist and a radio personality. I assume you know who he was. He wrote the stories that were the basis of the movie A Christmas Story. But uh, when he died that year, Erwin Chuse had invited me to join a few other people to share some thoughts about him. He was a legendary talent and an equally legendary asshole. But I was and am a fan, big fan. And his work was another real motivating factor in doing Buckaroo Holiday, which is why I do so much yapping, you know, um, instead of just playing tunes and shutting up. Can't help it. So anyway, Irwin invited me to write this piece, and I wrote it, and it was posted on a special memorial page at WFMU's website. And it sat there for a while. And uh, not long after 9-11, I got an email from someone who'd read the piece, and he was surprised to find that he was mentioned in the piece. His name was Matt Mignoni. He was a childhood pal of mine. I hadn't heard from him since we were around 12 or 13 years old. All of, both of our families had moved away from the neighborhood, and we stayed in contact on the phone for a while, but that drifted, you know. But, but back when we were in Holy Name School together, he turned me on to ship. And now, all those years later, it turns out he was a WFMU listener. He didn't know sport was Mike, but he put it together, and he contacted me. We met up at the old schoolyard of Holy Name in Windsor Terrace, Brooklyn. It was amazing. There we were. <laughs> Back where we last left each other decades and decades earlier. So we went over to Farrell's Bar, and we caught up some. The whole experience was a real gift, because when the towers came down... And my nephew Pete died under them. And one, one part of the grief, not the major part, but certainly a part of it, was this abrupt severing of the connection to childhood. You know, Pete was the one person who knew much of what we went through together. You know, we were, we were kids together, and that's something that's a pretty unique bond. Part of the whole misery was kind of like the original trauma of losing our house on 17th Street in the first place, just as abruptly, you know. And then I was shortly thereafter abruptly expelled from Holy Name by this abusive asshole named McNally that I referred to earlier. So you get the idea. A lot of the past had become this huge aching sorrow. And Matt contacting me again, meeting up with him, it restored some joy to it, some dimension to it that had been lost to that sorrow. Fortunately, Matt's memories of me were mostly fond ones, it seemed, and his recall was a lot better than mine. He knew a lot about specifics, because I'm more about atmospheres and emotions, not necessarily tied to anything concrete or coherent. I remember how I felt, but I can't really place events and he filled a lot of that stuff in reminded me of all kinds of stuff it was a thrill it was an enormous joy to hear his vivid memories of our old pals and our old school miseries and our families our little obsessions it was a healing experience and i badly needed it a lot of laughs and uh, some acknowledgement that he'd carried the pain of our estrangement ever since all those decades. You know, you never know how much you mean to some people and how easy it is to be careless about that. He's telling me stories of uh, flying kites with my dad in Prospect Park. Some arguments we had had about which TV show was better, All in the Family, which was my choice, or MASH, which was his favorite. You know, stuff like that, just everyday crap. It was so beautiful and um, another thing he mentioned was how he dropped by our house one day to visit to find my mother and me cavorting around the living room blasting the original cast album of Man of La Mancha I remember that was on Cap Records 
He was, he was fascinated by our shenanigans. He described us as me jumping on and off the sofa, miming swordplay, and then me and my mom dancing around the room, blissfully singing Dulcinea. I'd forgotten all about this. I mean, how do you forget something like that? But we do, all the time. Now, the show had been my first big Broadway musical. It was a revival of the hit from 1966 and it was the original cast with the great Richard Kiley and uh, this actress Joan Diener who was explosive and I thought pretty hot still do really anyway I was overwhelmed by the show it, you know anybody's first theater experience right but uh, this one wow you know Quixote immediately joined the ranks of my other rebel anti-hero role models you know I mentioned them before Cool Hand Luke Virgil Hiltz all these doomed individualists you know, the, the fucking die was cast, clearly, you know what I mean? So Quixote added this element of vainglorious nobility to my delusions, you know, this righteous, idealist self-image. You know, it's very widespread nowadays, minus the individualism part. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I took to it like a duck to water. And the music was really strong. The flamenco-inflected Broadway, Sacco, Bafo, you know, stuff, you know, to dream the impossible dream. And there's a lot of social comment in it. Um, when I say social comment, I mean observations about how people deal with each other, not, you know, discussions of society and as a, as a thing. For instance, there's a scene where uh, Quixote's sisters are trying to get him committed to a lunatic asylum, and they're insisting to this priest in a confessional that they're only thinking of him. You know, there's that, you know, this, this treachery. And then there's uh, Aldunza, the whore, who Quixote has idealized, and she's just denying his idealization angrily, you know, insisting that she's nothing worthless and he's a fool for insisting otherwise, etc. You know, there's a lot of truth in those human sketches. I could see it then, and it still holds. Gave weight to the show beyond the, the sentimentality and beyond the humor and drama of his mad imaginings. The emotions that it stoked, they were the real thing, man. And, uh, that's why the happiness my mom and I shared when we would relive it all like that was genuine and ecstatic. Well, uh, Coda is that uh, Matt and I hung out a few more times, corresponded a while for quite a lot for a little while, and then he seemed to pull away. Uh, I think he was disappointed in me for some reason. And that's too bad. I'm sorry that that happened, but he gave me a great gift. And, you know, everything's ephemeral. Um pretty grateful for that and uh, I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say I mean there's all these things that kind of relate back to Frank Handler now that I think about it you know this the kind of things my wife is going through now with the loss of him and then thinking about the Broadway songs and all these things they we're all pretty lucky to know each other to have each other as much as I can I try to approach things that happen as if they were already memories so that I cherish them as they're happening, as the uh, irreplaceable treasure that they are. And I guess that's one way you can use days like these. I have dreamed thee too long, never seen thee or touched thee, but known thee with all of my heart. Half a prayer, half a song. Thou hast always been with me, though we have been always apart. Dulcinea, 
Dulcinea. I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea. And thy name is like a prayer an angel whispers, Dulcinea. If I reach out to thee, do not tremble and shrink from the touch of my hand on thy head. Let my fingers but see, thou art warm and alive and no phantom to fade in the air. Dulcinea, Dulcinea. Sought thee, sung thee, dreamed thee, Dulcinea. Now I found thee, and the world shall know thy glory, Dulcinea.
guns in the bell tower. I saw the future Wasn't that different Isn't that strange How I try so hard
That was the Castells with I Do. One of several bands with that name around that time, which is the early 60s. And that was a song that was written and produced for them by Brian Wilson. There's also a version the Beach Boys did. It's the same track with them singing over it. And that was released on one of those great twofer capital reissues back in the early 90s, I guess. Those were a godsend for Beach Boys fanatics. But that's the actual release. I think it's one of Brian's best outside productions. Before that is a current group called the Saxophones, a song called Mysteries Revealed. I usually don't like that kind of singing. You know, it's uh, a little drippy to me usually, but they make it work. There's something about that that I like. I think it's quality music. And before that, you had Rain Check by Billy Strayhorn. Nice little ensemble there with Clark Terry on the trumpet and a French horn, which is a nice addition to the ensemble. Played by Willie Ruff. There's also a soprano sax, but we'll overlook that. And we started that set with Richard Kiley from the original cast album of Man of La Mancha on Cap Records. Dulcinea. I kept the main part of it and took out the part where the lowlives are mocking the song. But um, wasn't in the mood for mockery here. Just a beautiful number. And Richard Kindly does a great job with it. Well, you know, we're not at a full hour here. And usually I would go a little bit further, squeeze a few more things in. But um, we have a funeral to go to tomorrow. And uh, I'd like to get this thing posted because... Um, Everything's in such a flux with the show, um, and it would be nice to at least have one more up here until we do what the next thing is, whatever that might be. I've been talking to a few people, as I said, who uh, have ideas, and if I can find something that helps me retain my freedom with this thing, um, I'll be glad to relocate. We'll see how it is. Um, in the meantime, I guess I'll probably uh, just continue doing these until they cut me down. If you do like them, you know, download them. Because, I don't know, once they, once the hammer drops, that's it. Uh, my friend Ron uh, discovered to his chagrin that all the files are inaccessible. Of course, he has copies of all his own. But uh, word to the wise. I hope the show was okay. I know I'm a little bit out of sorts here. But... Um, Thank you for listening to all these shows. You've made it a real pleasure with your involvement and your encouragement. And we'll see how things go. You know, keep in touch with me. Keep an eye on things. I will alert everybody on the Facebook, on the Patreon, and here as to what's going on. So fingers crossed, everybody. Love to all. And I will end tonight, my beloved buckaroos, with the full buckaroo holiday, which is the first movement of Rodeo by Aaron Copeland, or Rodeo. I can't even pronounce American words, for God's sake. Why do they even keep me on this job? I don't Go figure. Moi.
Thank you.